You're listening to The S-Rank on the Triple S Studios Podcast Network. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to another episode of The S-Rank. We are officially back. I'm your host, Aaron. And, uh, William, are you there? Hello? Hello? Aaron? Okay, I am definitely going to be late. And we are back this week because last week I turned 21 and I simply didn't want to record an episode on my birthday. So I hope all of you uh, have been well during the bit of a hiatus that we've had, but we are almost at the end of the S-Rank Season 1 and I am so grateful for everyone who has joined us so far. Our guest today is Bree Venanzio, another super jump writer. We always love having writers from the best gaming publication on Medium on our show. Uh, Bree Venanzio is the writer of Bayonetta's Guide to Women, Gaming, and the Male Gaze. And as we know, as one of those male gays, <laughs> I myself quite enjoy Bayonetta. Thank you so much for joining me on a work day. <laughs> know that your hours are insane what exactly is it that you do that forces you to wake up that early so i open at a fitness studio so our first class like it's an it's an orange theory so i don't know if you've ever heard of orange theory if you've ever like everyone that does orange theory is insane and talks about it all the time so like (laughs) if there's one anywhere near you you've probably heard about it i don't i don't know if they're up in canada i'm i'm in vancouver so i yeah, there. Are, I think there are a few, but I don't know if there are any in Vancouver. I know there are a bunch in like Seattle, so like a little south of you. But I don't know. I don't know if there are any in Vancouver. I can't remember. But um, it's basically just like it's a fit like fitness classes, and they have they're like an hour long. But the first one's at five a.m., so I have to get to the studio at four thirty to open the doors and get everything set up. And I've been doing that for two years now. Oh my gosh! Minus minus two months in the middle of last year where we were closed down for a little bit, but I'm in Florida. So like there are no laws here. Um, so like the second, the second, like someone went outside for the first time last year, like our governor who is, uh, he was like, let's open everything. And I was like, great. I'm going to go back to work, to work in the middle of a pandemic. And people are going to be like going to beat the beach, like pretending everything's normal. So I've been at work this whole year. (laughs) I open and I'm, I'm five, well, I was five days a week opening, but now I work from home on Mondays because I do like the payroll for the whole franchise and like a bunch of HR stuff. So I still am opening four days a week. And yeah, when your alarm goes off at 3.30 in the morning, it's just, <laughs> every, it, it never gets easier. No, oh my gosh. I, I used to have, um, I used to have early mornings when I was opening when I used to work at EB Games, which is like Canadian GameStop. Um, and it was it was rough. And I didn't even have to wake up as early as you do. I was up at like six and that was that was enough for me. That's hard enough. <laughs> it yeah, was no, hard I enough. used to work I used to work at Disney, which is why I live in Florida. And we would have some shifts that started at like six, six thirty. And even then I was wake so then I was like waking up at four thirty, maybe like five o'clock, and I was like, Oh man, this is awful. I'm gonna get a job where I never have to do this again. And then LOL. <laughs> there you go. Um yeah, so Florida. I can't even imagine <laughs> sorry, no offense. I can't even imagine living there normally, <laughs> let alone during the pandemic. But you're actually the second Floridian I've had on <laughs> the 
there you go. Um, oh, was Brian? Was it Brian? It was Paul Lombardo. I had him on a few episodes ago, but I had Brian interview me a few days ago. I haven't read it yet, but um, but Brian and I like instantly were like Florida. Florida. Yeah, exactly. Because we're all just like, I'm in Orlando, which is like this little like bubble of kind of normal in the middle of like a whole lot of crazy or but Orlando normal is a very strange normal because it's like all it's most of most of the people that live here work at a theme park, which means we have no economy right now, which, you know, um, there you go. It's all tourism based, (laughs) but like it's the I swear this must be the gayest city in the entire (laughs) country and it is fantastic like i love i love orlando but the state of florida is special (laughs) well i'm not from here i'm from pittsburgh so i moved here i think i think i read that in your bio and that's why i was more uh comfortable uh, i think asking you to be a guest i was just like okay well she's she's from pittsburgh (laughs) she's not from there it'll be fine yeah she's probably at least a little normal it's fine go um and yes um you mentioned that you know orlando is like i suppose uh gay capital of florida (laughs) yeah Um, it kind of is it's like everyone that has any kind of entertainment or performance background some like ends up in orlando at least in passing at some point so yeah well i just found your writing content just like on medium and on super jump specifically i was just like wow, this girl is so relatable and it's going to be very easy talking to her, Um, especially the Bayonetta article because I was like, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one that wrote about Bayonetta on this damn publication. And there's someone else that is. I've been actually, I've been wanting to write about it for a long time, but I like couldn't figure out which angle I want. Cause I could like, I could write a dissertation about Bay. I love like the aesthetic, the art direction, the story, the voice acting, like everything. I could like, I could write about all of it. And I'm like, so I ended up, it ended up becoming like a feminist deconstruction of Bayonetta in yes. like you know, a thousand, you know, a thousand words or whatever it was. But it's funny because like, I feel like so many games are very straight white guy centric or have been for such a long time that when something comes around, that's not like, macho manly i'm gonna punch things until they die well okay you do do that you definitely but you do it in a push-up bra so like it's it's so different somehow like it's just tweaking these little things even though it's very not standard it's very they're very interesting video game mechanics too on top of that like there's not really another game like it but it's just so different and it's like if i found bayonetta when it came out i would have been like I would have gotten into gaming way earlier in life, I think. <laughs> exactly. Like, I just, right? I mean, uh, for me, and this this is going to age me a bit, but Bayonetta came out when I was like nine, I think. So I, I couldn't... Bayonetta have... can age you. Bayonetta is, came out when I was like 17. Because the first one came out in 2007, right? I think it came out in 2009. Okay, yeah. Did I was it come out in 2007? That. I might be mistaken. I'm I'm mixing it up. I should have like the Wikipedia article article open, but um, maybe it came out. Maybe the second one came out in 2009. Maybe the first. I can't the remember. The second one I but know for like sure came late... out in 2014. Okay, you're right. Then the first one did come out in 2009. I was in college. <laughs> yeah. I had an Nintendo. Um, I actually I have it somewhere. I have my little like rose gold Nintendo DS that I dug out. Ah, I love that. Oh my gosh. 
And I got this as a like a high school graduation present. And my mom got me like brain age and brain oh age to play on it. I was like, oh my God. So that's, I suppose that's, was that like your, the beginning of like your gaming journey is with the DS era and that sort of? Um, no, I did. I had a Game Boy Color. Okay. In like neon green. That thing is still like kicking. That thing still works. And I played Pokemon Crystal on it. So that was kind of my first, that was the first gaming system I ever owned. But I didn't like, like, and I kind of, I grew up in the 90s. So I kind of just, video games were always just kind of everywhere. Like all of my friends had um, either a Sega or a, a SNES or, um, and when my parent, or when my dad got remarried, I, um, I magically got two older brothers and my brother Ryan had a, pl- a PlayStation and an N64, which was like, magical so like I started paradise I kind of played I know right I played like I played Goldeneye with him I always wanted to play Goldeneye with him terrible at it because I was like eight and he was but he was like so nice about it so he so we would play Goldeneye and but like I didn't really other than the Game Boy Color I didn't really have anything of my own like I didn't have a Nintendo system any of them the first like like console system I had was the Switch um oh wow I, I, I always, I played on, like, I, you know, I play on other people's like Wii's and I played on other people's games, like all the way back to OG NES. But, um, but yeah, no, I never owned a console of my own until I got, and I actually don't, I actually didn't even buy a normal switch. I bought a switch Lite, and then I like tricked it out like say and sailor moon. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then- so I was like, uh, but the aesthetics, so I have, my boyfriend has his regular switch um and i have my switch light and now i suddenly am like i have a ps5 and i'm like spending hours in front of assassin's creed and i'm just like oh my god i can't stop yes i i I saw that you recently got the playstation 5 what what do you think what are your first impressions um oh gosh i actually like it a lot um i like i like the user interface like i think it's designed really because we, I mean, we had a PS4, but we still have the PS4. I I had a PS2 for a while. I bought an old used one so I could play um, Kingdom Hearts on it. But I think the user interface has gotten better with every iteration, with every uh, generation. And so far, I really like it. I think it obviously needs more games. Like we basically have it set up and like he's downstairs playing Demon's Souls. Like he's, he like, and we're kind of like trying to, balance who's playing what at what point but like most of the games that i have on it right now are ps4 games um i have assassin's creed valhalla and i think we have demon souls and i think that's it for the actual like ps5 games yeah i mean with the ps5 i was very surprised and also not surprised i mean obviously they're gonna do well in sales because it's playstation but at the same time, it's just like we're still releasing games for the PS4. Like, right? I am it's... So it's it's weird to me that it's doing so well in sales. The, I, I think it, there was a lot of there's a big campaign and lots of hype around the pre-orders. Probably, I'm I'm not exactly sure what happened there. <laughs> I think if it was not backwards compatible, it would be a dud right now. Like, no one would be. But I don't think there would be no point to buy, in buying it. Because you can mm-hmm. play maybe five or ten games on it if if it's not backwards compatible. The fact that it is backwards compatible is, I think, the only reason it's even usable at the moment. Because like I, if it weren't for that, I probably wouldn't have even gotten one for another year 
at least. Um, Cause yeah, like most of the games that I'd want to play are on the PS4 and we have a PS4. So like, so did you get the, um, the special edition Bayonetta that came out for PS4? It was like a steel book. No, wait, what? Yeah. Oh my gosh. They, it was the anniversary edition. I think it happened last year and they had like a really beautiful steel book. I don't have it with me, unfortunately, but. No, I um, didn't. I wish I had. I, I think it was already sold out by the time I realized it existed. Right. Like it was already gone. Um, but like those when I got the when I got the switch those are like the first things I downloaded were <laughs> yeah the, were the Bayonetta games those and Pokemon uh I got Pokemon Shield I got Sword there you go <laughs> yeah well and that's why I got Shield because my boyfriend had Sword and I was like we can trade and he has touched <laughs> it he played for like two minutes and he was like I'm bored I'm gonna play something else and I was like all right and then I spent like 140 hours on it oh so you liked it then I did uh, I did I like Pokemon <laughs> in general like pokemon i grew up watching the anime like i you know i had the cards if i swear if i still had the cards that i had as a child i probably would be like a millionaire now because <laughs> all of those cards were like they were like first gen because it was the 90s and that's just what they were so they're probably all like super super expensive now but i just like threw them in a corner somewhere and they're probably long gone yeah i i can't even i can't even remember what happened to mine i think i i gave them all to a relative and i'm kicking myself because i probably had at least one rare one in there that would have meant something i i'm pretty sure i had one at least a few good ones in there um but yeah i, I that was just kind of like the thing growing up you had the the show was on and we had the trading cards. And I think at one point I knew how to actually play the, the card game. Don't remember anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's funny that you mentioned that. Cause I, you know, I forget that the, it's an actual game that you can play. <laughs> I just, it's, it's the prestigious part about it is that, you know, they're just, they're, you trade them with friends and you get the ones that you want. But like, I forgot that there's like an actual there card is game an that actual you can play with it. The only reason I know that is because I also play magic. Oh, I see. Awesome. Again, that started because my boyfriend. That is not me naturally. <laughs> he has, there are magic cards like strewn across our house. Just like, <laughs> is there a surface available? There's probably magic cards on it. Oh my God. It's a little stressful because I also have cats. And sometimes that pile of magic cards becomes a floor full of magic cards. Oh no. And, yeah. And it, they're all like, you know, the cheap, like 20 cent, not super important cards or else they wouldn't be laying around like that. But every time I'm like, Hey honey, could you put those away? He's like, well, they were away. I was like, they were sitting on, a, <laughs> they were sitting on the uh, ironing board. So I don't think that's where they're supposed to be, but yeah. So there are just magic cards everywhere. And, and I do know how to play that game. I, I honestly, I haven't really gotten into any card games and I, I regret it. Cause now during the pandemic, I can't like go and see anyone. And I'm just like within my household and I'm just like, I wish we knew more card games and I wish I had more time to learn, learn them, you know? Um, well, especially now it's not like can't play anything right now. Like, I mean, every so often, uh, we've gone over to like a friend's house and like worn masks to play games. But like, for the most part, we're just chilling, playing, yeah. playing video games, playing online. Once everything's normal, normal again, you can maybe, exactly. maybe start learning, but. So I suppose like the pandemic gives 
it's sort of weird because it gives you like a wealth of time in in one sense i suppose but then you know you have you have a job you have uh your writing how do you sort of uh balance the time with games and writing with your schedule oof that is my forever struggle because sometimes <laughs> I just don't like sometimes I will sit in my office like that's kind of I'm in my like office spare bedroom kind of thing with like where, where my computer is and everything and sometimes I'll just sit here and like write and write and write and write um, and then other times I just like won't write for a week and I'll be like laser focused on whatever game I'm playing or whatever book I'm reading I also, I also love to read um, so it's I, I tend to hyper-focus on things, so I don't necessarily do a whole lot of balancing. But the good thing about my work schedule is that I'm usually home by like 11 most days, 11 in the morning. So it's not like I'm working until late at night or anything. It's still, right. the sun is still like coming up when I'm, when I'm leaving for work, sort of, but. Um, and so how did you get into uh um, maybe not super jump, maybe first medium. How did you get into medium? And then how did you get into super jump afterwards? So medium, I honestly, I started writing from on medium last year. Um, and I just kind of wanted to, I started kind of just started out just wanting to like get a uh, portfolio together, just like kind of show off my writing and like, so I could send it out to places if I pitched. Um, and I ended up, I really wanted to get some video game writing samples like together. And that's kind of how I found super jump. And I wrote my first article. My first article for them was like probably one of my first five or six articles that I wrote in general on medium. And, and then like, I got to know them and they're all just such great guys. Like Jim is great. Brian's great. Like they're all, and it's such a supportive atmosphere and you're encourage to just go like what what do you want to write about okay follow that thread have fun we'll probably we'll love it like or we won't love it like but most I've never I don't think I've ever had a an issue with anything like like getting accepted they're always just very they're very supportive and very um encouraging of whatever weird direction I want to go with any given article or story so yeah totally it, it's it's such a great like space and just like uh, it's it's like almost like a hidden gem of like the internet really it really is because the writing on there is fantastic like you get really cool interviews you get really cool like tech outlook like tech breakdowns and ux breakdowns and design breakdowns but then you have like the more um editorial side where you've got a lot of not even reviews but like what this game meant to me and like what this you know histories you have histories of games where it's like this is it's incredible some of the things that people write about on there the reason i think it works so much is because you know like the community is totally supportive you know and the people that write there know what they're talking about it's i just i just find that it, with no deadlines or any strings attached to your writing, it's very easy to just like let it all like flow very, very naturally. And that's why I think it's, there's such good high quality content on there. And I imagined it's been such like a journey for them to like create that sort of perfect formula. You yeah, know? I think so. Um, 
because for a long time for a long time it seemed like there was just like this one like a kind of a small group of people that wrote there really regularly and were just you know pounding out these incredible articles and then it started to attract more people and then the more people came in like the more even multi even more multifaceted views you would get on things and it was like it's just gotten better and better <laughs> because like the more people have found and it's it's incredible because like sometimes you would think okay maybe you'll just get some like puff pieces I mean granted I have written a top 10 article but <laughs> like yes I did write a full article about like what sequels I don't want to wait for but like even that I like you'll see you'll see stuff like that too but it's always from a really interesting perspective when you see stuff like that you could it's it's never something that you could see in just any generic like gaming space it's it's such a specific it's so specific because it's so broad, if that makes any sense at all. I mean, I, I think you could literally like, not rant, but like you could let like your brain go onto the paper. And as long as you have like a concluding point, it's going to be good. You know, like it's, it's going to be a good article. Hey everyone, it's William. Um, took a wrong turn earlier, got a little lost, but still here to do the mid roll. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. If you are, consider following us at the S rank on Twitter and Instagram. Anyways, I think I see some light up ahead. I'm gonna try to get out. I noticed in your uh, bio, uh, I think on your Twitter, you say that this is what you do with a, a BA in English. Um, <laughs> but but do you feel that your bachelor's has given you any sort of advantage in the writing community at all? I, I the bachelor's itself, like the paper, no, not at all. <laughs> um, the I did I did concentrate in creative writing when I was majoring in uh, when I was majoring in English. So I think like the workshops that I took when I was doing that and like just getting to write and being encouraged to just write stuff because I took. I took a few, I took a few semesters of fiction. I took a few semesters of playwriting. I took a semester of screenwriting. I took a semester of poetry. So I got like a lot of different writing styles. I had one that was creative nonfiction. Um, so I think that helped me a lot and doing the workshops and just having people to bounce ideas off of having the time to, um, having the time to just focus on writing and learning how to do it. That was invaluable like I loved I loved that but I also feel like I learned so much from that but the actual piece of paper that says you have a BA in English useless <laughs> useless yeah, oh no totally not in that case but the fifty thousand dollars in debt that said like the the fifty thousand dollars that I paid in student loans to get the degree debatable oh well it's yeah I mean it's not to not to trash higher education I would never I I'm a I'm like a full-blooded like if I could be in school for my whole life I would uh but I feel like it's you, you like the paper itself can only do so much for you it's what you learn when you're there so like whether you're an A student or a C student yeah I mean I think that applies to like most higher education I think you make the most out of it 
like you are responsible for making the most out of it you know anyways <laughs> yeah no I, I I don't yeah definitely don't want to like trash college I loved college um I just wish it would had been cheaper but I also went to a private school so oh there you go <laughs> but I but I loved I loved my school and I loved the classes I took and I loved the writing courses I took and the workshops and stuff and so you you did creative writing. Do you still do any of that now? Or are you a little bit? Um, okay. I'm, I'm working on it. I always like, I always have like ideas for stories and I have ideas for novels, but I'm always like a little hesitant to start them because like, once you start, it's like, Oh, okay. I'm actually doing this. Um, so I, the goal is to have at least like a first draft of a book by the end of this year. We'll see if that happens. Um, I would like for it to happen. And I have kind of a an outline and like a framework in mind, but I've I've outlined and like built characters and built worlds and then just never did anything with them. So what I want to do is actually do something with one of those. So hopefully. And do you think that any of your worlds or do you think you'd ever be interested in like actually being on a dev team and like writing for games that would be amazing I would <laughs> love that I could do that like if I could do that I would die happy that would be amazing <laughs> um I I never really thought of video games as like a career path because I was never I was never into coding I'm not super like tech savvy or clearly it took us half an hour to connect on zoom because I'm pretty <laughs> sure I like broke it um tech not like I'm not a coder or anything like that so I've always I've never realized that that was an option um but oh my gosh that would be amazing I would totally write a video game that would be so fun well I I went to school for writing for games and what I learned is that you know you don't have to exactly you like it's it's beneficial to know the code but it doesn't bar you from the industry which I was so you know I was relieved to hear that because I am in that same boat I I am awful <laughs> I mean the the it, the world building stuff comes so easy it's just like the whole plugging it in is it's just like so damn difficult <laughs> yeah yeah um, for sure if you were to work on a game what kind of what kind of genre do you think you would explore Ooh, I <sighs> I, I'm like a, I'm a huge fantasy nerd. Like, give me like a, a good urban fantasy with like, kind of that gritty, like, it like city, almost not I don't want to say cyberpunk, because that has a lot of connotations with it right now. But like that kind of feel <laughs> a Star Wars not then. The game cyberpunk, but the, the genre of cyberpunk. I love that. Um, I don't know. Do you do you read much fantasy, like much in the way of fantasy novels? The last fantasy novel I read was Lord of the Rings, and I read it when I was eleven. <laughs> so perfect. Listen, you read you read the granddaddy of of fantasy novels, so like you're getting exactly. so many. Once you read the Lord of the Rings, you read about seventy five percent of fantasy novels out there. There you so, like, go. You're good. <laughs> um, but urban fantasy has been like a, a genre I've been kind of getting interested in a little bit more. There's a, there's a series called, it's called the green bones, but it starts with a book called Jade, Jade city. Um, and it's very like 
their trait, they're like, everyone's magic is powered by Jade and you, you have these rival family gangs that trade Jade. It's a metaphor for drugs, <laughs> but it's, re- it's really cool. So like, I like that feel. I think it's mostly because I grew up in a city. So like that just sort of appeals to me. Um, but I also just like, you know, I like magic, man. <laughs> me too. Um, I found the, like, that's like the whole magic element of Bayonetta is why I'm so attracted to the game. Um, I was going to wear my Bayonetta shirt today. Unfortunately, I think it's in the laundry. I am wearing my WandaVision shirt today. Yes! I absolutely loved that. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love WandaVision. I un- unashamedly, I've had a thing for Paul Bettany since like, <laughs> too long. It's been too long. Like the moment he showed up naked in a knight's tale, that was it that was it it. life changed and it's funny because again I was an English major so I had to read if you've ever seen a knight's tale he plays Geoffrey Chaucer who wrote the Canterbury Tales and the Canterbury Tales is supposed to be like based on a knight's based on a knight's tale like that's kind of the joke he wrote the Canterbury Tales after the events of a knight's tale the movie (laughs) and the Canterbury Tales are nothing like a knight's tale that's a lie (laughs) um the Canterbury Tales are a slog because they are in it written in you know 14th century English which is more like German than it is English today um it makes it makes like Shakespeare Elizabethan English sound easy and uncomplicated um so at first when he's like I'm Jeffrey Chaucer I was like oh you jerk but (laughs) but but uh you know he won me over I guess (laughs) yeah he's he's real He's really good. I haven't seen him in uh, that one in particular, but I, you know, I I have seen him in other things. I saw, I saw him in that movie with Ian McKellen. I'm trying to, yeah, he was in a movie with Ian McKellen. I'm trying to remember what it was called. Ugh. I can't think of what it is. I, I. He also played the bad guy in Solo, which was possibly one of the only good things about Solo. Oh my god, I totally forgot about that. I loved that. That was so much fun. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, Solo. <laughs> that was interesting. And uh, uh, mixed reactions, mixed to poor reactions from Star Wars fans, unfortunately. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, too. Shocker. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I didn't hate it as much as I think other people did. It was a it was a movie. You know, I, I wasn't aggressively angry about it. You went to the theater. You were entertained. It yeah, was all right. You know? I was entertained. I enjoyed <laughs> it. I've rewatched it like once or twice. So. Have you seen the, have you seen the Bayonetta movie? The anime movie? I haven't. I, is it streaming anywhere? Like I haven't really known. I think it's on Funimation. Is it? I think so. It might, they might have taken it off, but I know that Funimation was the main one like promoting it before. So you might be able to like get it on DVD or something, or you might be able to stream it. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I just watched it on YouTube. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, that, that count, that works. I'll probably, I'll probably have to look for it because that sounds awesome. And honestly, anything that can get me between now and whenever Bayonetta 3 releases. That'll oh my god, it's been it's been it's been 84 years. It's been 84 years. They teased it in what 2017, like four years ago? Like, come on, and nothing since. It's just been it's been brutal. Like 
the Bayonetta fans are hungry. Yeah, and it's funny because like all of the Breath of the Wild, like all the Zelda fandom is like, give us the next Breath of the Wild. And like, you don't even know pain. <laughs> exactly. But I, un- I'm also a Kingdom Hearts fan. So like, I literally had to wait. Oh my God. Of, what was it? 15, 12, 15 years for Kingdom Hearts 3 to come out. But then when Ugh. it did come out, thoughts? It was, it was. It was. It wrapped, it wrapped things up. And there were some really good parts and there were some really mediocre parts and I wanted it to be better than it was, but I think they just had too many, they had too many threads. They were trying to just tie everything up together in a neat little bow when they had about 75 games worth of loose threads to tie into one game so true that's probably the best like description i've heard i've heard of the third game they did the most and then didn't know how to end it so they just smooshed it all together and they were like we did it we made a story yeah no one knows what the story is but we did it (laughs) yeah um i will be devastated if that's what they do with bayonetta 3 (laughs) i mean granted um I don't think there's as many loose ends in Bayonetta 1 or 2 since they actually, um, I thought it was interesting that they go in a repetitive circle that you can actually finish Bayonetta 2, then it leads into Bayonetta 1, and then you're like, what? Um, But let's talk about your article. Um, I found it really refreshing that you did a feminist take, but you seem to embrace Bayonetta. Um, whereas, you know, there's, there's been lots of other feminist takes that have sort of rejected her, um, just on, on, on the basis that, um, you know, her character was hypersexualized, um, and objectified women. What do you say to other takes, particularly, um, I don't know if you've seen Anita Sarkeesian's take on Bayonetta. She got a lot of she got a lot of hate for it uh, during especially the the Gamergate controversy. Um, what what do you think of what do you think uh, like what could you say to women that are potentially offended by Bayonetta? I can honestly I could see where they're coming from in some ways because she is that like outrageously disproportionate like body her body is like the length of my house and like her legs are the length of my body and her boobs are the size of my kitchen like (laughs) she's objectively ridiculous looking like she I think I talked I talked about that in the article she is every like 13 year old fever like 13 year old boy fever dream like rolled up into one person so her character design if you only look at the character design it's ridiculous. It's like the worst Barbie doll that you could imagine. Like, and so I, I can see if you're just looking at that, that you would have that and you would have that thought that it's maybe not the best, um, depiction of a woman, but the way I kind of see it is that everything about that is so played up to such a ridiculous um to to such a ridiculous level that it's almost a it's almost like a farce of that video game heroin like sexy oiled 
Lara Croft swinging in a bikini <laughs> and with her cube boobs. Um, it's 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 almost like farcical how ridiculous she looks. And the thing that is the most important to me is that she's fully in control of her body. Like she is a like she's ridiculously sexy, but like she plays into that and she has like she takes power in that. Um, and that's not all she is. She's brilliant. Like if you play the video games, she is a brilliant person. She's incredibly powerful. Like she's her magic is powerful. Her her body like her physically she is a strong person she can lift up trucks <laughs> yeah she, she's just like i'm just gonna <clears throat> i'm just gonna jump on this airplane and do some backflips like casually um and shoot you in the face with my feet um so i you know like i can see where people get that and i feel like that's kind of an i don't want to say outdated i don't want to like i i haven't re read um any of the the other articles i actually kind of try to stay away from that because i'm like not that I don't want to hear other people's opinions, but I also don't want to like randomly get angry at people for no reason. Right. Um, and I have no desire to like trash someone for something like that, where it's just a different point of view. Um, but I just feel like the fact that she owns her power and she owns her sexuality and she is so brilliant and she is so powerful and fierce and, you know, she, she doesn't kind of just fall into the oh, I'm just pretty and that's what I am, like kind of trope that's so much, especially in the, again, in the video game space, like a lot of the the female characters for so long were just set decoration for straight white guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. And she's not even remotely that. Like she is far more likely to punch you in the face than she is to hook up with you. Like she also kind of gets off that air that she's just a little bit too good for you. And so she's not really attainable. So like, she's gorgeous and she's sexy, but not for you. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, it's, she's a very sex pot, but she's a very sex positive role model. And the fact that she was actually designed by a female creator, I think to me makes it intentional. Like, I feel like if she had been designed by a man, maybe you could see that, maybe you could say that it's a, she's just a sexy character for the sake of being sexy but because she was designed by a woman and it was there was so much thought and detail put into her character design it it gives it another it gives it another layer mm -hmm. um so you kind of have to peel back the layers to like see where all of this is like she's yes she's gorgeous and sexy and looks ridiculous um with her proportions but um she's a lot more than that but also she's kind of commentary on that, on that trope. Do you think that it was, do you think that she was intended to be a commentary like when she was created or do you think not? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know I'm where I was sure, going. I'm not sure, honestly. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, what I've read from the creator, a lot of it's in Japanese. So I've had to like Google translate it, which is a little bit difficult, but um, so I'm not sure. I, I do know that, um, she was very intentionally designed with like in Bayonetta one with the beehive and with the glasses, like she, the designer kind of like went into those details and why they were added. So I can't, I, I could see it being kind of like a, she's just crazy looking, but I, I also kind of can't imagine that she would be 
so create so over the top looking without it being intentional in some way it may have not been intentional but just because it that wasn't the intent doesn't mean that that's not what kind of ended up happening um Mm -hmm. I'm gonna put my English major hat on again and be and um that's kind of what happens with like literature and art like sometimes people will see meaning that wasn't necessarily intended by the by the artist but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not there I don't know if that makes any sense that totally makes sense that's what all my English professors told me so it's it's interesting because you know they didn't go into it with the idea uh, that her clothes were going to fly off when she attacked people it was actually i saw in the documentary it was actually a glitch that happened at first that her you know the character's model's clothes fell off um and then uh, around the around the dev t- team it was like oh you know her her clothes are flying off you know um and i think even even with uh jean i think uh Kamiya, uh, Hideki Kamiya, I, I think he wanted, I think he wanted uh, Jean to be based off of his own, like, sexual preferences. I think uh, he mentioned that he prefers, like, flat-chested women, which is why he wanted uh, Mari Shimazaki to design her that way. Um, what do you think of this kind of relationship where, even though it's, like, a woman designing it there's still like a man behind the you know that's behind the whole project still creating this game for other men to enjoy sounds like pretty much every other industry out there at the at this point i that's that's kind of one of the many problems that we have especially in media so many things are run by men and so many of those men are straight Again, straight white men, not not that I don't love me some straight white men. They're <laughs> great. Don't mean to hate, but um, but it, it's, it's a very narrow yeah. view of the world. And so, so much of the media ends up being that it's, it's designed by these men. And so it ends up appealing to these men, which means we have to then make more things that appeal to these men. And it just kind of becomes a vicious cycle. Um, and that's what that's what happens with a lot of like if you think about um female superheroes like i would consider like we were just talking about wandavision like i would consider the scarlet witch she's an, in a very similar boat like elizabeth olsen i was reading somewhere she had to kind of fight for a costume that didn't show off so much cleavage I, but yeah. she's like the straw she's the most powerful avenger elizabeth olsen is a I can't there are not words for how much I love (laughs) Elizabeth Olsen I mean granted I grew up watching her sisters in like Full House and then you know um all of their direct to video videos uh I had all of them so (laughs) I have a little bit of bias maybe but um just everything I've seen about she's hilarious she's funny like she hilarious and funny she's hilarious and funny she's smart she knows what she's about and the character Scarlet Witch is so powerful and she's so nuanced and like she can be volatile, she can be violent, but she can also be so kind and loving um, and so loyal and she's so many things and yet she's still designed to be ap- appealing to the male gaze. Um, 
I don't think that takes away from what she also is. I think that's kind of an issue within media as a whole. We should probably start, you know, maybe making people look different. I don't know. Um, Maybe have someone that's not a size double zero, but is also somehow like walking around with like a triple D breasts, like a built like an hourglass with a waist to the size of my thigh. Like that's, that's not realistic and it's not attainable. And I think that's kind of what I ended up liking about Bayonetta was because it was so unrealistic and so unattainable that it was funny. Like, yeah, yes, it was designed by men, like it's not designed by men, but there was influence from men. But I think sometimes, you know, you got to look at what the character is as a whole, not just what they look like. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, we're just we're we're just gonna have to deal with these guys. They uh they're not going anywhere. <laughs> um, so you um you mentioned in your article that uh Bayonetta is mostly in control of her or well she is in control of her body the entire time. There is a moment at the end of the first game where she is in control. Uh, she Balder controls her. Yes, I actually wasn't thinking about that as much, <laughs> uh, and I realized it after I published it. I was like, ah. Oh, forgot about the climactic part of the first thing um but i think that's what gave it such high stakes like it's the only moment where she's not in control of her body right and yet she still ends up kicking ass (laughs) but she like is able to reclaim that power and is able to kind of overcome that and i feel like that's also again whether intended or not that's also kind of a a very interesting message to put out there where this powerful, intelligent, beautiful woman who is always like in control, she's always on top of it. She loses her autonomy, but she's able to claim it back. Right. Which I think is kind of an important thing to show. You know, I I always like it when female heroes don't lose their bodily autonomy. Uh, But let's, let's be real. When does that happen? Yeah. Video games or otherwise. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it's rare. It's, so, it's rare that that happens. This conversation has honestly, like, I love talking about Bayonetta. I hate talking negatively about Bayonetta, literally ever. Um, but I think, you know, for me, like, I think, like, she's she's become very important to the LGBT community, especially. Like, she's, like, literally, I think, one of the only characters i think that is considered like an lgbt icon that i can think of in video games anyways um but i i've come to the understanding that you know like it's not perfect you know it's like it's it's almost a perfect game but like i think that's the intention of your article as well as just like she's not perfect but this is but this is why you love her yeah yeah Yeah. exactly um Um, it's not perfect and Again, it's an 11 year old game. A lot of things, a lot of the way that main, like a lot of uh, cultural thought has shifted so much even since then. And to have a character that is an LGBTQ icon that was created in 2009. Like I remember 2009 very well and (laughs) it was not super gay friendly. Like it, it just wasn't Uh, like, Compared, compared to today, I mean, we were still arguing here in the U.S. if, like, gay couples were allowed to get married. Mm-hmm. You know, in the U.S., we're still arguing if 
trans women can play sports with other women. Like yeah. it, it, we have so far to go, but compare like just seeing the progress between then and now, it makes me hopeful for the progress progress between now and 10, 11 years from now, 12 years. Oh God, 2009 was 12 years ago. <laughs> I forgot 2020 happened um, for a minute, but <laughs> But no, it's, it's, I, I'm literally playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And that's the only reason I'm thinking about it right now. Um, besides maybe Assassin's, Assassin's Creed Odyssey was notable because it did allow the possibility for, for, uh, like gay and lesbian romances. Um, but not many games have that. That's not or when they are present, they're very, it, it's like limited, right? I mean, the Fire Emblem series obviously come under fire for having very like limited choices for same-sex couples. And so it's it's nice and refreshing because even though, you know, she hasn't been shown to be LGBT, it's still someone that, you know, the community has that they can they basically embrace. What are you most excited for in the third installment what do you want to happen Ooh, i'm not gonna lie to you part of it is i'm just excited to see like updated design up like her updated design her updated costume her updated hair her updated glasses i want to see what what new things they do with like the gameplay mechanics what new combos we get what new like weapons show up it's like that sort of thing as far as story i just i try not to think about it because i'm like (laughs) Cause it's everywhere. I, <laughs> I felt, well, I fell into that trap again with Kingdom Hearts, and I was like, "Oh, like wondering what's going, thinking about what's going to happen." And that's how you end up being disappointed because if yeah. you have this, for me at least, if I have this thought of what I want the next thing to be in my head, it's not that I'm going to end up being disappointed. Or, um, but in in the case of Bayonetta, it it could go literally anywhere. Like. We could end up on Mars next. I wouldn't even be surprised. <laughs> like, like, oh, I guess we're going. I guess we're going to Mars now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also I'm in the same boat. Like, I really am excited to see her new design. But in the t- teaser trailer that they showed us, she's in her design from the first game. Yeah, like, I'm not sh- I wonder if it's gonna stay that way though. Yeah, I guess. I hope. I kind of hope. I. I mean, I do love her design from the first one. <sighs> I. I just. I don't know. We'll see. Overall, did you prefer Bayonetta one or two? I think, I think one. I think it's a little more memorable. It's stu- it stuck with me a little more. I think I have to agree with you there. Um, I I loved two as well. I just think that the cast from one. I don't know. Overall, I liked the designs more, and I liked. I don't know. I like how the combos felt as well. I feel like the comp after you've played one because it's a it's a hard ass game um two is sort of like a breeze once you play one you know so okay i thought i was imagining that i thought i just got really good at uh bayonetta but uh no i think you're right i think the mechanics were toned down a little bit into um to make it a little more accessible because it is really hard yeah (laughs) the first one is hard there were a few times just to get through, I had to put it on easy and I was like embarrassed for myself. Not that you should be embarrassed if you play on easy. Sometimes you just want to get through a game and like get the story, which in this case, I honestly don't fault anyone who wants to play it on easy. I think they got away with it though, making it more accessible in two because it also like kind of in like 
the Bayonetta lore, I suppose. Like, you could see this as, well, well, she just got stronger from the first game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is easier for her now. She, exactly. she knows more about herself. She's more, like, in her in her groove. Yeah. Know? She doesn't have um, a little girl following her around. Oh, my God. No, she has a little boy. Little, yeah, her. little blonde. <laughs> boy god thing. <laughs> <laughs> with a horrible accent i don't even know what accent that's supposed to be it sounds okay it's like australian but not i hate trashing voice actors like at all and i don't want to say it was the voice actor's fault but like it was so hard like keeping the volume on when i had him like running after me it was just like you know one second he'd be like try to keep up with me and then he'd go he'd go like way past him and then he'd be like whoa slow down why don't you <laughs> it's like Oh, man. I mean, he's like a very, very good at being a teenage boy because he's as annoying as a teenage boy would be. <laughs> exactly. um, I'm so sorry. Any teenage boys who are listening, you will not be annoying anymore soon. I promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't want to offend half of your audience. I don't even know who my audience is. So well, there you go. We're just this is this is our little show where we ramble on about things and hopefully people listen. Um, and I want to thank you so much for joining me for this. It really means the world. And we have to have you back again because there's so much I have to talk about with you. Like you brought up Kingdom Hearts and there's so many other games. Before you go, where can our listeners uh, find you on the internet? Oh, gosh. Okay. So you can find me at um, at medium.com slash Pretty much if you look up Brie Venanzio anywhere, uh, you'll find me because I'm the only one. Um <laughs> not the most common name on the planet. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Captain Bree. Uh, I've had Twitter for a long time and was able to snag that. It was a, it was a pretty good, pretty good handle, I think. <laughs> it is. But, and I'm trying to think of what my Instagram, oh, Instagram, I am Brianna Fett. So that's yeah. a good one too. <laughs> Thank you. I know. Right. Um, I have a tattoo of Boba Fett on my leg. So yeah. Oh when gosh. I said Star Wars fan, it's next level, but. Well, you know, I've been considering the Bayonetta tattoo for years now, so. I'm kind <laughs> of thinking, I, if you just get like a tasteful little butter, like filigree butterfly. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. I would be cute. I would do I that actually. That <laughs> would actually be really cute. I'm thinking about it now. Well, let me know if you do decide to go with that one. Maybe we can get oh, matching ones or whatever. <laughs> absolutely. You, you would be the first to know. Absolutely. Hey everyone, just wanted to thank you once again for your continued support of the S-Rank. I am so sad that we are close to the end of our uh, first season, but I do look forward to all the things that we have to present to you uh, in the future. Um, next week we will be doing a bit of a rundown on the future of Triple S Studios for the next few months, so we hope you'll tune in, and as always, please support us on our Redbubble page, moiceover.redbubble.com. Follow us on social media at the S Rank Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram, and we will see you next week, Saturday. Don't miss it. Bye.